happens. Two more. Yes. Yes, yes. Well, hello, 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 hello. Good evening. Yes. Oh, I have the deep voice tonight. <laughs> it, it's echoing, but it's okay. We'll, we'll fill it with the Spirit of the Lord, right? Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. And, um, you know, the real troopers, and we, we pray that everyone who is still on their way will arrive safely and um, you guys just fill them in on what they might have missed out on. So um, God is good all the time and I'm so honored and privileged just to be able to be used by him and um, I pray that he will anoint my mouth to uh, speak his word in a way that touches your heart and gives you new revelation and empowers you to leave here better than when you came, right? Amen? All right, so I'm going to just dive right in. We are in the second week of this series that I've entitled, well, the Holy Spirit gave me the title of Lessons Learned in the Wilderness. And for me, that was uh, basically my journey through some of the darkest times of my life and what God taught me in that time. So when we were here last week, we kind of opened up with being very descriptive about what each individual person might go through in their own personal wilderness. You know, if you've lived any length of time on this earth, you've experienced some sort of seasons of hardship, right? Um, darkness, uncertainty, insecurities, seasons of lack, all those places that just don't feel good at all, you know. But in looking back in the studies and the Word, we know that there isn't anyone that God has chosen or used or called that didn't go through something, right? And there was a purpose for it, and um, we are blessed to be able to have those scriptures to learn from uh, those who came before us. And so for me, I've entitled a, a few topics of discussion that, again, I just personally uh, felt the Lord walking me through these dark times and those hard times when I didn't think I could make it. And the very first thing that I did learn, and I mentioned this last week, was that when you are in the wilderness and you were at your rock bottom, God is there to let you know that he is your rock, no matter how low you go. And so uh, last week, we talked about stewardship and how God taught me the importance of being a good steward. When I was in the wilderness, I knew a lot of why I was there was because I had failed to be a good steward over certain parts of my life. And so uh, we talked about uh, being a good steward over basic things that you know, we have in the earth, natural resources, material possessions, money, but we also talked about being a good steward over our faith and the grace of God that he gives to us. Uh, we talked about stewarding over the gifts and the talents that he's given each and one of us, that we purpose to be good caretakers of all the things that he has blessed us with, our relationships, um, you know, and so with that being said, um, I want to talk about the second topic of discussion for this series, which is going to be lesson number two, and that's the power of covenant relationships. The power of covenant relationships. And so 
before I get into the details about that, um, I wanted to really express, like I said, for me, what I learned in the wilderness was that my most important relationship was with God. And that that's what he used the wilderness to do was develop and strengthen my relationship with him. And that particular relationship, that relationship that we have with God, that's a covenant relationship. And so tonight what I want to do is kind of just peel back the layers of that word and look at it specifically as it pertains to us as believers and how we can recognize the power of those covenant relationships so that when we're going through things, we have something secure to stand on. Amen? Okay, so some of the things that I'm going to read from my notes may not appear on the screen, but you should be able to follow along. Um, And if not, just let me know. So uh, we're going to start with covenant relationships tonight. And of course, as always, the first thing we have to do is define what we mean by covenant relationship, because I wasn't quite too sure about what this term meant Uh, of course, until I did some studying about it. And I think sometimes we use it um, more casually than we should, and sometimes we misappropriate that. So basically, what we're going to start out with tonight, we're talking about covenant relationships, what it means, is if you were to like look it up in the dictionary or whatnot, just your basic description, the word covenant is used to symbolize or identify the existence of a relationship between two or more people. Like that's your basic foundation, right? But covenant relationships are also representative of a contract, a bond, a promise, or a formal agreement. So this is where we start to identify how covenant relationships may differ from your standard relationships. Okay, I want you guys tonight to be mindful of the fact that we're talking about A, a relationship that has to be at least between two or more people and something that represents a contract, a bond, a promise. Remember that word, because that's going to be key too. A promise and a formal agreement. Okay, so with that being said, biblically speaking, Okay, covenants that are entered into from a biblical perspective are designed to have certain characteristics. And so on the next slide, I want to talk about a few more characteristics of what covenant relationships are. For one, when God created covenant relationships, he intended them to be unconditional and non-contingent, okay? Unconditional, this is going to be on the next slide, I believe. Okay, unconditional and non-contingent relationship. Hmm, okay. These types of relationships are also meant to be unending. Unending, meaning they have no expiration date. Hmm. And they are impenetrable. I knew I was going to mess that word up when I tried to say it, but you see it on the screen, you know. They are impenetrable. That means you cannot break them. That's right, okay? Nothing should be able to break up or even annul 
the covenant relationships. Now this is, speaking of covenant relationship in its strictest biblical form from the beginning of how God initially intended it to be. Now remember the title of this was The Power of Covenant Relationships. You see why there's so many, you know, um, characteristics that need to be highlighted so that we recognize, man, this is, this is serious business here, right? Covenant relationships, they're, they're unconditional relationships and non-contingent, meaning there's no tit for tat or, you know, there's no, if you do this, then I'll do that. Hmm. Okay. Unending forever. Sounds like eternity, right? Uh, no expiration date, impenetrable and cannot be annulled. So keeping that in mind, these things that are here on the screen right now, the Lord gave me sort of a little bit of a extended definition in my spirit. And this is what he said to me. He said, covenant relationships go beyond just an association or mere knowledge of someone's existence. It goes beyond proximity. Just because you live with someone or you work with someone doesn't mean you are in covenant relationship with that person. There's relationship by association and title and then there's relationship by divine appointment and divine unity. Okay, so these are the scales in which we are balancing this out here. And a lot of this beginning stuff that we're looking at is just laying a foundation, okay? It's just to put the knowledge into your head, allow yourself to examine it and, um, against what your prior knowledge is. And then again, remember, our intention is to grow from this. So it's not to be, oh, which reminds me, I forgot to make this sort of um, announcement in the beginning too when I was doing the recap about last week in stewardship. Me, myself, I'm a teacher. And so a lot of the way in which I you know, present sometimes, I really want you guys to know that nothing that we're gonna talk about tonight or what we talked about last week is anything more than to um, inform you right, and empower you. It's not to judge you or to condemn you. And it really was on my heart last time when we were talking about stewardship because I was given an example of, you know, what I went through in the wilderness and I had come out of that, you know, um, but people are still in it sometimes, you know, and I just wanted to use it as a way of encouragement and certainly not a way of condemning. And so even tonight when you hear some things, you might be evaluating and it's okay, you know, if you're not quite there yet, that's fine. The whole point is to have a desire to know what the truth is and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you and where he wants you to be able to utilize this information in your everyday lives. So, you know, um, I myself have matured, right, in my knowledge and understanding of covenant relationships, and that's why I'm sharing it with you tonight. So, again, there's association, there's, you know, um, people that we may call our friends, there's people that we identify with as being um, in a specific relationship with, and we just want to know what it means to be in covenant, because that's the highest form of relationship as far as God is concerned, okay? So that's what God gave to me was to share that, um, and a little bit more, and we can still stay on this one right here for a minute. Um, actually, I take that back. It'll be the next slide. We can go into some more detail about what the original plan was when God created covenant relationships. What you will know is that 
God himself was first in covenant relationship with himself. Remember how we said two or more people, right, in the beginning constitutes a covenant relationship? Well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So that right there was him establishing covenant with himself first. You know how the scripture says that um, God couldn't swear by any other, so he swore by himself or he couldn't find anybody. He himself is enough and all encompassing. So what he did was, after he began covenant relationship with himself, he made covenant relationship with man, right? He created Adam, right? And then we can go through the whole lineage, right? We go through, he made a covenant with Moses and, and Noah and Abraham and the children of Israel and Elijah and David and everybody, like I said, that God used in the word. He was in covenant relationship with. So what I wanted to do was just kind of break down, again, for the foundation of tonight's class, a little bit of more information about in the Old Testament when covenant relationship was required um, or was to be entered into, it required certain things to be established first. And the first thing was that it required the shedding of blood. Okay, so if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you're familiar with the sacrifice of animals or animal sacrificial and that whole purpose of how people, once we were separated from God, right, when sin entered into the world, this was part of, and I'm not going to get into too much detail about it, but this was part of the way God began the restoration process of redeeming his children back to him and his family. So if you wanted to be in covenant with relationship with God prior to the coming of Christ and his uh, death, burial, and resurrection, animal sacrifice was usually one of the main ways in which that happened. Okay, so remember that because that's going to be important later on with the shedding of the blood. As Christians, though, we are now able to enter back into covenant relationship. Remember, we were separated from that relationship when sin entered the world when Adam fell, but that's why God sent his only son, right? And through Christ, and the shedding of his blood on the cross, it made it possible for us now today to enter back into covenant relationship with God and no longer requiring any more shedding of blood. The sacrificial lamb, Christ Jesus came, and when he came and died and rose again, it was what? Finished, right? So again, as we move forward, that was just a little bit about in the Old Testament, how it was done, and now how it is uh, for New Testament Christians and how we can enter into covenant relationship with God. But with that being said, there was a little bit more detail about why this is so important in our earthly relationships. And what I wanted to highlight tonight was mainly with the covenant relationship of marriage. Okay, and so again, in my studies, and I'm just going to kind of go through these notes really quick here, and let's see. Yes, we can still stay on this slide here. Um, that's why marriages, if you know, if you're entering into a biblical, Christ-centered relationship, and this is why I said, don't worry, I'm not judging anybody, the way God intended it to be, you know, as far as there not being any uh, premarital sex before marriage is because when the husband and the wife come together for the first time, if she's a virgin, then there's supposed to be the shedding of blood. And that's what consummates the marriage, 
right? And so again, that's how you enter into covenant relationship as husband and wife is through that act. It's the same way with um, parenthood. When a mother gives birth to her child, when the child passes through that birth canal, again, that shedding of blood, there's a covenant relationship that is made there between the mother and the child. And so we look at that knowing that this is just how important it is to God to have that type of intimacy and that closeness, okay? So by default, those marriages and those parent-child relationships are covenant relationships, but now as a New Testament Christian, what God has done since there's no longer that requirement of shed blood, anytime you enter into a close, intimate fellowship with another human being, Okay, you are entering into covenant with them. And so there's some things that we need to know before we do that, or if we're in it, we need to examine because there's some stipulations. There's some responsibilities that come with being in covenant relationship. And that's where we're going to spend the second half of our time talking about tonight. So just know that um, the details are here to help you evaluate am I in alignment in my relationships with the way God wants me to represent him? Okay, we're good. Okay, so that was all the, uh, what they used to call it, the academic stuff, the whole, you know, history lesson about the beginning and how it all started, you know. And now I want to get into some practical application of how you can kind of use this information in your everyday life. So what we want to do now is we want to talk about, now that we know what covenant relationship is and how you get into it and the whole backstory, there's some benefits. The next slide is going to talk about what are the benefits of being in a covenant relationship. Well, for me, again, my journey through the wilderness helped me understand that when I honored my covenant relationship with God, there was a reward for that. Okay, there were some benefits to that. And so when you are in a true covenant relationship, that relationship brings honor and glory to God. That's why marriages are supposed to bring honor and glory to God. When you have a, the honor of being a parent, you know, uh, you are bringing glory to God by operating and stewarding over that child's life with excellence. And so what happens is the covenant relationship brings honor and glory to God. And therefore, here's the benefits, right? His mercy, his grace, and his favor are freely applied to those relationships without limitation. So your covenant relationship comes with the benefit of having access to God's mercy, his grace, and his favor without limitation, okay? He can choose if he wants to, um, to demonstrate you know, his grace and his mercy and his favor to whomever, but there is an advantage, ladies and gentlemen, okay, to being a child of God and being in a covenant relationship. And so your marriage, yeah, it's supposed to be blessed, right? Your parent-child relationships, they are supposed to be blessed now. They may not look like it on the surface, but again, we're just identifying some things tonight where we can petition God for that promise. We say, Lord, I have entered into a covenant relationship with you first. Now I'm entering into a covenant relationship with this person, and therefore... I am petitioning your favor, your mercy, and your grace to be upon that. So that's the uh, first benefit of 
being in covenant relationship. Now, the other two, or the first two, actually. Yes, the other two here, God's protection and God's provision are also included in the benefits package. And we can access them whenever we need without having to qualify for them. Man, that's a good benefit, right? For being in covenant relationship, right? His provision and his protection. So again, when you're in a relationship and it isn't lining up or demonstrating uh, behaviors that are characteristic of God's will, you can petition him when you stand before him and say, Lord, forgive me if I'm out of order, but I'm asking you to provide for us in this relationship, protect us in this relationship. We have that right, basically, is what I'm saying. You have the right to petition God for that because you are in covenant relationship. If you were in a relationship and it's not a covenant relationship, you can ask for those things, but he's not obligated to fulfill them, okay, unless you were in covenant. So those are some benefits, right? They are honorable and they bring glory to God's name. We receive his protection and his provision, unlimited and without qualifying for them, okay? Meaning there's something that, you know, again, depending on what type of religious philosophy is out there, you know, sometimes people will tell you that you have to um, earn his grace, right? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. You can't earn that, right? Um, And so I don't want people to feel like that they have to first qualify something in their lives before God will honor them in their relationship, okay? He will do that because of the fact of where you stand with him. So what we're going to do now that we've looked at what the benefits in general are, okay, no matter what type of covenant relationship you're in, I'm going to take a few minutes to specifically highlight uh, covenant marriages because, again, I believe that that's one of the highest forms of God's glory in the earth is marriage and the family, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to move into looking at what are highlights of a strong covenant relationship. I always tell people right now that, you know, whether you're preparing to be married or you are married, you should always have people in your life who are in a healthy, strong, God-ordained covenant marriage that you can um, model your marriage after, right? That you can, you know, mentorship is a part of God's system, right? And so we want to know if someone has a strong covenant relationship, well, what are they doing that makes that relationship so healthy? And so tonight on the next slide here, we're going to talk about highlights of a strong covenant marriage. And just a little side note, because I know we have at least one couple in the room. Um, God has deposited this information on the inside of me vicariously through the married people in my life. Because yes, I am single right now, but I am preparing because I know this stuff right here. So hopefully you are preparing yourself too. Um, And so let's look at this. Uh, Highlights of a strong covenant marriage. All right, first of all, marriage, ladies and gentlemen, is a gift from God. Okay, we could tie that into our last week's message about stewardship. So you, your marriage, the relationship, and your spouse are gifts from God. And it is your job to be a good steward or a good caretaker over 
your relationship and over your spouse. Okay, so be diligent, good stewards over the marriage and your spouse. That is number one, all right? Now, someone who has a strong covenant marriage, guess what? Husband and wife pray for one another. It's one of the best things you can do for your covenant relationship is to pray for one another and do so daily, okay? If you want a strong covenant marriage, and again, some of these actually are applicable to other covenant relationships. Again, I'm just highlighting it here with marriage, but again, if you're in any covenant relationship, you, you should be praying for that person, okay? You should be praying for them daily, okay? The next thing is that if you're in a marriage, a godly marriage, a covenant marriage, when you honor the divine order that God has set for marriage, that, that relationship is going to thrive. It's going to be strong, okay? And that divine order, right, biblically speaking, is Christ, husband, wife, and then children. And then there's different layers under that as far as career and things like that. But when Christ is the head of the house and the husband is the head of the relationship, then the wife and then the children, anytime you have a household in which God is first and Christ is first, then that divine order lines up and that brings honor to the Lord. And that blesses your relationship. Sometimes that's out of order, and that's why things aren't working for some people. So the other thing that I have on here regarding what constitutes a strong covenant marriage is going to be number four, and the way it has it on here is mutual submission, okay? There is biblical scripture that says that husbands and wives should submit one to another. Again, that is as they are submitted to Christ, okay? So again, this isn't a lesson or a, uh, a long sermon in marriages and, and that type of thing and what the scripture says about that in detail, but knowing that husbands and wives should submit or yield to one another as they submit to Christ, that's how marriages thrive. There's no competition there, right? And as a husband, as the man, if you are following Christ, you're going to have a wife or a woman who's going to follow after you. And so therefore, there's no need for the role reversal or the competition in that sense. And then the same thing, your children are going to follow up behind you too. That's how the divine order goes. So I just wanted to lay that um, piece of the foundation with aspiring to have a strong covenant marriage. We cannot look at the world for any information on how to be prosperous in that area because it is flipped upside down on its head right now. So we always have to go back to the scripture and find out, well, what does God say about this, right? We want to do it God's way. So one of the things that is important about covenant relationships and covenant, strong covenant marriages is going to be on the next slide that talks about the power of choice the power of choice. You chose to get into a relationship. If you're talking about, if we're talking about marriages, at least, you know, in this country, usually, you know, I'm just gonna make a blanket statement out there. For the most part, you chose that person, right? And there is a lot of power in choice, even in other covenant relationships. Um, it's not in this uh, lesson plan tonight, but 
Business partnerships are also covenant relationships, and those are choices and stuff like that too. So I want to talk about the power of our choice in the relationship, okay? So if you want the relationship to thrive and be healthy and be strong, you have to choose to forgive, okay? The very first step is choose to forgive. Don't try to make your spouse pay for past mistakes, okay? Not if you want to move forward and have a strong, healthy relationship, okay? The power of choice. Not only do we have to choose to forgive, ladies and gentlemen, this is, again, with all rela uh, covenant relationships, choose to believe the best in your spouse. Choose to believe the best, okay? Again, I'm talking from experiences here, and one thing that I've known that I've seen my parents do, who have been married for, oh, I want to say 48 years, um, easily 48 years. Uh, my spiritual parents have been married 65 years. My pastor, first lady, you know, it's like what I've seen in them is that, yeah, we're going to have differences, right? But if you choose to believe the best in someone, you're going to have a better chance of making that relationship work, okay? So choose to believe. The next choice, choose to listen, okay? Choose to listen and be empathetic. These are all choices, you know. Like I said, I haven't been married, but I've been in relationships, and I know that stuff just doesn't happen because you will it to happen, right? You have to put some action behind it. You have to choose, and you can't always feel like it either, right? Our emotions sometimes are going to contradict what it is that we should do, but that's why way before when we started this series, we talked about having faith over our feelings. So the power to choose, to forgive, to believe and expect the best, to listen and be empathetic. And here's another one. If you want your relationship to thrive, ladies and gentlemen, these covenant relationships, what you have to do is you have to focus on what you have to gain and not on what you have to lose in that situation. Too many people are stuck in whatever area of life that I've seen, again, in my personal experience, because they're so focused on what they have to lose instead of focusing on what they have as well as what they have to gain. That perspective, that shift in your perspective is going to be a benefit to your relationship. And last but not least, especially with regards to marriages. I love when I saw this quote somewhere uh, posted about marriage is not 50-50. I grew up hearing that, that marriage is a 50-50 partnership, right? Until I realized, and if you really stop and think about it, wait a minute, that's half and half, right? So if I only have half of my spouse and I'm only giving them half of me, how can we ever be truly whole, right? And a covenant relationship, we didn't mention that, but it also represents wholeness, okay? So in your relationships, ladies and gentlemen, we have to give 100% of who we are to that relationship if we want it to be successful and prosperous and thrive and be representative of what God has ordained, okay? So choose to give your 100%. Marriage is not 50-50. A couple more choices here on the next slide we're going to talk about. Choosing to always communicate openly, honest, and lovingly. Again, that's a choice. 
because that's not always what we default to, <laughs> depending on what the situation is, right? But again, these are just characteristics that we're acknowledging on if you want to be in a marriage that lasts 50 years, because that's always been my goal. When I, ever since I was a little girl, other than just being married, my goal was, I want to be married and celebrate those golden 50 years of marriage. Like, that was the target, you know? And I still think I'm young enough to still hit that number if, if this thing moves on a little bit here, you know? I'm running out a little bit of a time, but it's always been so amazing to me that, you know, those relationships, if you ask people that are in successful relationships, they say, well, you know what? We choose not to argue. We choose to communicate openly, honestly, and lovingly. The other thing we choose to do, speaking of people in successful marriages and relationships, this one is big. They choose not to get offended. If you're someone who gets offended easily, ladies and gentlemen, your covenant relationship is going to struggle. It's going to struggle, even with God. Oh, my goodness, how many times have we been tempted to be offended at God, and we're in covenant relationship with him, right? It's the same thing with our earthly relationships. If you can master that emotion and not allow yourself to get offended, you will have a much higher chance of having a strong covenant relationship. The other choice you have to make is the choice not to compete, okay? Not to compete. You must choose to cooperate. It's a choice. You must choose to cooperate. We're going to get into the um, next part of this that you'll see these things kind of come up again. Uh, so you know if you ever hear something more than once, it's really, really important. So uh, pay attention to those things that are repeated here tonight. But it's very important when you're in a covenant relationship to choose to cooperate and not compete. This can even be, I'm thinking myself, with um, the covenant relationship like with my children. You know, I used to always used to tell them, say, I don't have to compete with you. I'm the parent, you know, but I did have to cooperate with them, though. You know, I did have to empathize with them and listen to them. We talked about that, you know, in some of the earlier slides, you know, so you can't always pull that uh, because I said so card or that kind of thing and uh, the do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. That, that doesn't necessarily work when we're talking about covenant relationships. So choose to cooperate and not compete. And then lastly, Again, this is very important with relationships, and you have to work at this. You have to choose to give the advantage and not take the advantage. Your aim in a relationship should always be, how can I give the advantage to this person instead of take advantage of this person? Because if they're looking to please you and you're looking to please them, then again, do the math, you both are going to get what it is that you're looking for, right? But again, we get too caught up in the, well, if they do this, then I'll do this, you know, and, and I'm not going to do this because they didn't do that, right? And that, it's true. We laugh because we've all been there in different forms of the relationship, you know, but always just look to give the advantage and not take the advantage. And those are some points that are really going to help you strengthen whatever covenant relationship you're in, whether it's a marriage, whether it's a parent-child relationship, whether it's um, a best friend, you know. Uh, we talked about covenant relationships being that close, intimate fellowship. I know I had to separate myself from a covenant friendship because it was not in alignment with what God had for me, and that was very hard because that was a 25-year relationship, right? And so 
these things God has given to us, not to set us up to fail, but to prepare us for the victory, okay? So again, these aren't things to condemn us. They aren't things to judge us. They're things to help us grow. And so I always pray that we have a heart that's willing to receive these in the context in which God is sharing them with us. Sound good? All right, so you guys have been such troopers hanging out, listening to me talk all night, and I really hope that these things are getting, you know, into your heart to a place where you can actually apply them to your, your everyday life. And so the next part of this class tonight, again, practical application, I'm a teacher, so the, you guys, I love it. You got your notepads out, you know, and things like that. This is being recorded, so if you're not able to get all of them, don't worry, you can go back and listen to them. But I want to talk about now that since we talked about the importance and the power of covenant relationships, what do we do when those relationships go south, right? What if we do have a covenant relationship that we really do want to restore after it's been broken? So the next thing we're going to talk about for the rest of the evening, these seven points, they're going to stay on here listed like this, and I'm just going to talk through some of the side points for them. But because covenant relationships are so powerful and they're so meaningful to God, we should do everything that we can to try to restore broken fellowship or broken covenant relationships. And the very first step, we're going to go through seven steps. The very first thing when you are attempting to restore a broken relationship is to talk to God first. Before you talk to the person, talk to God first. Because most conflict, okay, because we're talking about broken relationships, most conflict is rooted in unmet needs. If you think about it, a lot of the fights or disagreements or arguments that people have in relationships stems from an unmet need. But some of those needs can only be met by God. And that was one of the lessons that he taught me in the wilderness was how he was my absolute 100% source for everything that the only person that I put total dependence on was him. Because if I put my total dependence in another person, I'm going to set myself up for disappointment because they cannot meet that standard. Absolutely not at all. So talk to God before you talk to the person. Um, you don't want to set yourself up for disappointment by expecting people to give you something that they can't. You know? And that takes a lot of these steps, all of these steps, take maturity. And that's the other thing that happens in the wilderness is you learn how to mature very quickly in the spirit world, you know, in, in the natural world. It's just maturity is definitely necessary. So that's the first one, okay? We're talking about seven steps to restoring broken relationships or broken covenant relationships. Talk to God. Number two, now these are hard for us sometimes. Number two says, always take the initiative. Oh, I used, to, I used to have a rub about this one because I used to always say, God, I'm always the one who has to apologize, right? Why am I always the one who has to go and fix it? Why am I? Until I realized what an honor and a privilege it was, number one, to be in that relationship. And remember, God never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already equipped us to be able to do. So he said, girl, suck it up and do it because you can't. So again, I'm speaking for how he speaks to me in my relationships and things like that. So always take the initiative. Don't be afraid, okay? And don't be resentful. 
I was resentful <laughs> about having to make the first move. Because, you know what? If you don't, and things start to fester and delay, right, it's going to create bitterness, right? And so your timing in when you approach it is very important. The sooner you go to God first and talk to him, then the sooner you can take the initiative and go and talk to the other person. But here's a little tidbit. Don't address the issue when either of you is either tired, rushed, hungry, <laughs> or distracted. <laughs> Trust me, I know this from experience, okay? So yes, the issue needs to be taken care of and we need to talk about it, but assess the environment first, right? Both physically and um, naturally, emotionally or whatever, and make sure that that other person is going to be able to give you their, you know, their full attention. Uh, again, I learned this with my kids. It was like the time to try to correct or try to, you know, talk about a situation was not when they were, yeah, hungry or tired. It was just not going to I was going to get snapped at every time. And then I just pushed back and here we are 30 minutes into a unnecessary. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, what were we arguing about? I don't even remember how this got started, you know, kind of thing. So we want to avoid all of that type of stuff there. All right. So take the initiative. Always take the initiative. All right. Number three, we're talking about how you restore broken covenant relationships. Well, you got to sympathize with their feelings. I know sometimes, you know, we get all in our, we think it's all about me. What about me? What about me? What about me? Right? You know, but hey, you're in a covenant relationship. So there is a duty and a responsibility and obligation that you have to consider the other person's feelings and sympathize with them. So before attempting to solve any disagreement, listen. We talked about that earlier. Listen to the person's feelings. You guys know, um, I don't know if you guys heard this about why sometimes this doesn't work, it's because most people don't listen to understand, they listen to respond. And again, kids are the same way, but you know us as adults at maturity, like I said, sometimes we act like kids, you know? And before that person even finishes their sentence, in your mind, you're already thinking about what your response is gonna be, right? And it's always gonna be a but, 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 right? And <laughs> we talked about getting those buts out of the way. So. You have to listen. Don't try to talk people out of how they feel. So when you're listening and someone's expressing to you how they feel, don't try to talk them out of how they're feeling. Everybody has the right to feel how they feel. The caveat to that is that we're just not supposed to allow those feelings, right, to dictate our decisions. But we can't help the way we feel. That's how we feel. And when you validate someone in their feelings, you've already gained an advantage in making this relationship work no matter what, whether it's marriages or any other type of relationship. So um, don't try to talk them out of how they feel. They'll just get defensive. And here's the part. This is that listening part and empathizing with other people. That's the sacrifice that you're going to have to make. Relationships are all about sacrifice. Didn't we open this conversation up with sacrifice, right? It's just a different type of sacrifice. Now, thank God it's a different type of sacrifice now and not the kind it started out to be, right? But there's a sacrifice to be made, all right? So you're gonna have to step back for a minute and give that person your time and attention. All right, so that's number three, sympathizing with their feelings. Number four, these are the practical things that we wanna do to have successful covenant relationships. Oh, this is another hard one. Number four says confess or admit your part of the conflict. 
oh, but I didn't do anything wrong. The odds of you not doing anything wrong are probably slim. You might have did a little bit of something wrong there. But even if you didn't, even if you didn't, again, acknowledging where the other person is, right, and not um, diminishing that in any way. You know, when you begin by humbling, admitting your own mistakes, what it does is it diffuses the other person's anger and disarms their attack. Wow, that's powerful, right? When you say, I'm sorry, even if you don't think you've did anything wrong, I've learned this, it's the most easiest thing in the world, when stuff starts to fuse or blow up, you know what you do? I'm sorry. Most people don't have a response to that other than, okay. You know, it's just like you can't really continue to attack someone who has now let their guard down, right? Okay, so just admit your part, say I'm sorry, it's going to diffuse the anger, it's going to disarm the attack. And I have this, uh, it reminds me of the scripture in Matthew, uh, Matthew 7, 5. You know what it says? It talks about that whole, get the, uh, what is it, get the plank out of your own eye. There we go. Let me make sure I get this right. Get that plank out of your own eye before you try to go deal with that speck that's in your brother's eye, right? This is how we know God knew what he was talking about because he put stuff in scripture that we look at today and we're like, oh yeah, I deal with that. That's real life stuff right there. You know, we always have our own, we're so quick to judge and look at what somebody else is doing. Well, he did that and she did that, you know, and God is like, okay, you might be right. But before you go and deal with that, what I need you to do is deal with that thing I've been asking you to deal with for yourself for the past umpteenth time, right? So again, these are practical real life applications that we need to do to ensure our success in our relationships. All right, number four, that was confess and admit your part of the conflict. I'm not asking you to take responsibility for theirs. All right. Now, number five is very important too, because we do this a lot. You have to make sure that when you're in a disagreement or a conflict, don't attack the person, okay? Attack the problem, yes, but don't attack the person. This is what I teach about how important it is to separate who a person is from what a person does. And again, I know sometimes that's in conflict to what the world would teach you, okay? But the problem and the person, and I might be getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but that person you're in covenant relationship with, that's not your enemy. Your spouse is not your enemy, right? Your children are not the enemy. Even your coworkers, they may act like the enemy, but they're not your true enemy, okay? The true enemy may be using these people, and so what we have to do is make sure that we attack the true source of that conflict, and that is Satan himself. So again, that's a whole other lesson about the armor and spiritual warfare and how to attack him, but just know that you cannot fix a problem if you're consumed with fixing the blame. Hmm, can't do that. If you want to fix the problem, you can't be so consumed with fixing the blame. In resolving conflict, how you say something is just as important, if not more important, than what you say. It's really, really, really true. And these are just, they seem simple, you guys, but, you know, relationships are not easy. And so these things that we're learning tonight, we may have to one by one walk them out, but again, it's the formula for those who have made it to those milestones of 25, 50, 60 years plus, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in friendships. Friendships lasting more than, what, 
I don't know, a year now or whatnot, or it's, it's impossible sometimes because people aren't willing to do the work, right? This is work, right? So, you know, but it's work or it's a situation that God has what? Given us a promise about because of our covenant standing. So there is no way that God, he, he sets it all up for us to win. All right, so attack the problem, not the person. Um, there's a quote here that I got from, I believe it was the Purpose Driven Life book. I want to read it to you. It says, for the sake of restoring fellowship, you must destroy your arsenal of relational nuclear weapons. Let me just pause right there. I said, what? Relational nuclear weapons. Oh, those things like sarcasm and complaining and belittling and condemning insulting, condescending, and here's the one, nagging. Ooh, those were relational weapons that we throw out there all the time, right? And God is saying, lay those down. You've got to destroy those things. If you want a relationship to work, you cannot operate with those types of weapons. They will destroy you and the relationship. Okay, so that's number five, making sure we're attacking the problem and not the person. These are all the ways that we're going to heal and restore broken covenant relationships. Now, number six is very sweet and simple. And again, it's one of the points we pointed out earlier about being in cooperation with that person. As much as possible, the word says, do your part to cooperate and remain at peace with your brother. Okay, so we always want to cooperate instead of compete. Now, this is another thing that's going to cost us something, another sacrifice, okay? Peace always has a price tag. Peace always has a price tag. Christ died for our peace. That was a price tag. So what, in order to cooperate instead of compete, the price that it's going to cost you is your pride. Got to lay it down. Got to lay down your pride. Got to sacrifice that. It's not doing you any good anyway, and it's causing um, division. So that is the cost of being able to cooperate with someone, is to lay down your pride and operate in peace. So not too bad with that when you're like, okay. Now, it didn't say cooperate if the other person cooperates. And you're like, well, how do I cooperate by myself? right? Well, you have someone on your side, and I believe his name is the Holy Spirit. So again, whenever someone isn't acting the way you want them to act, what do we do first? Take it to God first, right? Okay. <laughs> now, let's do this one on number seven. Number seven is really important too. When you are in conflict, or you have conflict in your covenant relationships, what you want to do is emphasize reconciliation, more than resolution. Because see, when we're in um, you know, contentiousness or arguments or fights or whatever, we want to be right, right? We want to be right. We want to win, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. We want an answer. We want a resolution. We want it to be solved, right? Which, nothing wrong with wanting things to be solved, but at what cost, right? You want to focus on reconciling, being one, and then you can get to a solution, right? Then you can get to a resolution. And so what the statement that I got this from says, 
Reconciliation, okay, means that you bury the hatchet, not necessarily the issue, right? Remember how I said, see, I don't really have a, an issue with you. I have an issue with, you know, your behavior, let's just say. So reconciliation doesn't mean that, just like with forgiveness, doesn't mean you're letting someone get away with something, right, or you're excusing something that, you know, hurt you or whatnot. It's just saying you're going to bury the hatchet, we're going to call it, what is it, call it a truce. That's what they used to say, right? We're going to call it a truce, and we're going to focus on coming together as one and working out a resolution together, all right? God expects us to walk in unity, not uniformity. And I said, hmm, that's interesting, because again, we always think that it has to be, right, in order to be in unity, that we have to be unif in uniformity, but we could disagree and guess what? We can agree to disagree. That puts us in unity. We're united on the fact that we just don't agree on this thing. So let's just leave it at that, depending on what it is, okay, and depending on what relationships we're talking about here. But I just want you to know that you can walk arm in arm without seeing eye to eye. Hmm. Right? There's no excuse. God makes a way out of no way. And so what we think, you know, we think we know a whole lot. What we think pales in comparison to what God thinks. And our plans pale in comparison to God's plans. And so all I'm asking you guys to do is in your relationships, take a step back and align yourself with the things that we talked about earlier about the choices that you make, right? And when you do run into conflict, when you do run into division and strife, recognize that you have the power that's the key word for tonight. You have the power to change your circumstances based on the choices you make, based on God's word and the lessons and the steps, the strategy that we looked at tonight. Because let me tell you something, when you're in covenant relationship, God is on your side. He is rooting for you to win and have victory in that relationship. Now, again, just as a disclaimer, I know sometimes some relationships can't be restored. Okay, or shouldn't be, let's just say, depending on what the situation is. Again, that's where your covenant relationship with God is going to be so important because you're going to need that to have that discernment, to have that strength, to be able to know what to do about that particular relationship. So this isn't a, a fail-proof formula right here, you know, but it is going to set you up for better success if you walk through those seven, seven steps and you remember the power of your choices and you purpose. Again, remember, we talked about purpose. We talked about being intentional about how we live our lives, you know? So when you enter into a relationship, if you think just because, you know, you have something in common, right, or whatever the case may be, that it's just gonna work itself out, no, you gotta do the work. As a matter of fact, when you're in covenant relationship, you're gonna have all kinds of opposition coming after you because it's the highest form of God's glory in the earth, right? And so you have to recognize that and you have to be ready for that. That's why I said learning this stuff for me now, pre-marriage is like, come, I'm, I'm going to be ready, you know? I've got grown kids that I walked this throughout, I had practice, I had practice with my kids walking through this covenant relationship stuff here, you know, so I know it works. I've been through it, you know, and then of course there's those, um, like I said, those intimate, close relationships that we have with our friends, um, other family members, right, you know, um, business partners, anytime you come into that type of closeness and intimacy with someone, um, 
these are the things that we need to keep in mind. Did you guys learn something from those things tonight? I really do think that what God taught me, like I said, was how to be a good steward over my relationships and how first and foremost to be um, honorable to the covenant relationship that I have with him and to know the power that comes from that relationship. Because I, I really, I get discouraged personally when I'm working with someone one-on-one and they're especially, let's say, in a marriage relationship. I also deal with a lot of parent-child relationships, but they're so defeated. They're so defeated in that relationship. They're just like, they've given up. Um, they've cursed their relationship. There's just so much hardship and my heart breaks because I know that God's will is for that thing to grow and prosper and to be healed. And so when you empower people with the knowledge, it equips them to be able to help themselves get out of certain situations that aren't as healthy. And so again, I, I pray that it's something that you can use yourself and that you can also share with other people and, you know, be willing to ask God to help you. Right? So what we're going to do in our conclusion, which you guys know um, I always do, is we're going to have an accountability assignment, and that's just going to ask you to examine your existing covenant relationships and determine which ones are appropriate and healthy. Preferably, you have some of those because you need that, right? I'm blessed to have healthy, thriving, appropriate relationships um, with my sons, and um, you know, it's one of the things that wasn't easy, but I walked it out by what I was teaching you guys tonight. Um, the other thing you should do is to petition God for guidance, right? Guidance. Remember, I said the Holy Spirit is the, your helper and your teacher on how to deal with any relationship that is out of alignment with these principles that we talked about tonight. Because we all have them, you know, we do. Um, some of them by you know, some fault of our own, some by not, you know, we are born into some of these covenant relationships and they aren't the most healthiest sometimes, you know. Um, But again, we have a God who says there's nothing that is too hard for him. So I just want you to petition God for the guidance on what you should do regarding any covenant relationship that you're in that may be out of alignment with the principles that we talked about here tonight, okay? And I didn't put this one on the screen, but it's the third one, um, only because I didn't go through a lot of the scripture that we talked about, about God being in covenant relationship with a lot of the people in the Bible. So go back and do your own personal study um, about the covenant that God made with Abraham, the covenant that God made with Moses or Noah, or even the covenant that God made with Job. We're all familiar about Job and the experience he went through, right? Let me tell you, when we get to the last part of this series and we talk about what we learned in the wilderness, Job is a great example of how his covenant relationship with God produced restoration beyond what any of us could even imagine. So that's part of the benefits package, and that's a little insight into what we're going to get into in the near future here. But familiarize yourself with Scripture. You have to know um, that you're not alone. You have to know that it does work, and if it worked back then, it can work now kind of thing. And it just, for me, it inspires me. And it encourages me to to read those accounts in the Bible. So with that being said, next week, if you're here for week three of this journey through the wilderness or the lessons learned in the wilderness, again, a lot of teaching, but that's what the wilderness is all about, right? (laughs) It is. It's the place where you're going to learn something. So what I learned in the wilderness was how to identify 
and avoid blessing blockers. And I said, that's something I think I need to know, and I think people need to know that, because even though God is faithful, right? He's blessed us, he's given us promises and all these things. Again, they don't happen by default, right? And sometimes we can do things that block our blessings from coming into manifestation. Sometimes we delay those blessings. And so I have a outline of things that I want to share with you guys to inform you, not to condemn you, <laughs> to inform you about how you can be empowered to take control, right, and not have to be victimized by things, uh, either through ignorance or um, just a lack of understanding in general. So next week's class is on identifying, avoiding blessing blockers, and invite someone, because let me tell you, next week, is Thanksgiving. And so we are going to be here on Wednesday night prior to Thanksgiving on the Thursday. And I always say, sell it. What better place to be than to be in the house of the Lord, to give thanks and to learn and to grow and that kind of thing. So uh, hopefully we will have um, an abundance of people here to hear that message. Did that bless you guys tonight here? I think you guys are so attentive and so wonderful and just, you know, I just want to pour and pour and pour, but you know what? Time is ticking. So with that being said, I'm just going to do a quick closing prayer. I thank you guys for being here and then I'm going to turn it over to pastor, okay? So dear Heavenly Father, I just want to come to you right now um, on one accord with your people here today, Lord God, and just offer up all of the praise, honor, glory, and adoration for what you have done in our lives and continue to do faithfully in our lives, Lord God. We love you because you first loved us, Lord God. Thank you for this privilege and opportunity to worship you in all that we do. Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit that is there to lead us and to guide us unto all truth. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that has kept us, Lord God. Help us to have open hearts, Lord God, to receive what your word has taught us tonight and then act on it, to execute by faith with boldness and with confidence. And so again, Lord God, I just want to lift up everyone in this room, Lord. You know the needs of your people, and I just thank you that us being in covenant relationship means that you are the source and our provider for those needs. You said that you will meet our needs exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could dare to ask or think. So I just pray, Lord God, that you will show up and show out in ways that we could not even imagine tonight, Lord God, that we will be able to have a testimony and be witnesses to your goodness in all that we do. And as we leave here tonight, thank you in advance for your angels that will protect us and ensure our safety and well-being. We lay our cares at your feet and we receive the gift of rest and sleep for another day pending of goodness tomorrow. So these things we commit to you in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. All right, thank you again very much. I really appreciate you guys being here. Hope to see you next week, and have a blessed evening. And now Pastor will close us out. Thank you.